Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common sense. I'll tell you what, it's a bit gloomy out there. I don't know about you, but if I was in charge of climate change, uh, I'd ask for a refund because uh, the climate is definitely going down the toilet and it doesn't look very nice at all. I can't even see the Tower of London, never mind tell you how I'm lovely uh, and basking in the in the brightness of the, what is going on here today. We arrived at Friday uh, looking very, very good. But now suddenly it's all gone a bit dark. I don't know why. Boris Johnson's returned apparently from his holiday in Spain and he's raring to go. But unfortunately for him, the bad news is that no one important wants to come to his green party in Glasgow next month. China's President Xi has already declined the offer to attend COP26. It looks like Vladimir Putin ain't coming either. And now Brazil's Jair Bolsonaro has ducked out as well. Who can blame them? If I was invited, I'd also take a powder. After all, what is the bleeding point of it all? Lots of high rollers being chauffeur-driven around Sucky Hall Street, avoiding uh, the heroin addicts, promising not to ruin the planet. Well, at the same time, pledging to make everyone else behave differently to what they do. Meanwhile, we're all going to be offered five grand, apparently, to buy heat pumps for our homes. By my calculation, that is, wait for it, £145 billion of our money. Why? I don't want a heat pump in my house. Plus, I don't think I can put one in a one-bedroom flat in Rotherhide anyway, can I? Who the hell is going to pay for it? 03444991000. Richard Tice, leader of the Reform UK Party, joins us this morning with his take on the eco-madness. Plus, he's got plenty to say about the Grinchy unions who are trying to cancel Christmas. I'm sorry to say uh, a namesake of mine by the name of Sharon Graham runs Unite. And I'm afraid... Uh, that she doesn't seem to have any of the joys of spring or indeed the joys of winter about her either. We'll also be talking to Net Zero Watch about the problem with government climate change policy. The Sun's Trevor Kavanagh is here with his take on the latest from Her Majesty's Constabulary. Ridiculous story this morning. A police officer has been fired for stealing a packet of Jaffa cakes. Is there anyone out there running the police who actually knows what they're doing? Because apparently if you rape and murder a woman, you can still get the police pension. Steal some Jaffa cakes, you're out. Sorry, 0344-499-1000. Simon Calder's checking in with us from Saudi Arabia with the latest travel news. Apparently, you won't now need to take an expensive CPR test anymore after you return from holiday. There's also a story this morning suggesting that a load of testing uh, has been wrong. There's a scandal in Wolverhampton. We'll bring you that as well. And because it's Friday, it's time for the Perry Awards. And I'm asked to my brilliance in broadcasting this week. Thanks to Yorkshire's finest, Izzy Rowland. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. No, I'm not joking about the doom and gloom. It literally is. It looks like the end of the world out there. Luckily, uh, Richard Tice is here. Unfortunately, we've still got enough electricity uh, to make ourselves look beautiful. At the moment, right? but who knows what's happening next week. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. It's pretty gloomy. It although really actually, is. I think it may just be around London. Maybe some uh, I mean, under, some the, listeners. under the circumstances, and I don't know how much of an expert you are in this area, but it doesn't look to me like if you had any solar panels, you'd be doing terribly well. No, you wouldn't be generating anything. No. It, is, it is grim and gloomy here in central London, but maybe elsewhere. It's sunny and there's some uplands yes. that there people may be can be some sunny Up in Wolverhampton, however, there's a problem because they've just discovered that a load of uh, tests that were done, and I think they're PCR tests, I'm going to check that for sure, um, have all been uh, wrongly reported as false negatives. Yes, I mean, this is, uh, in a sense, it's probably not a huge surprise occasionally. When you're doing a, a million tests a day, yeah. which unbelievably we still are, mm. I think we're almost testing more than the rest of Europe put together. I mean, why are we testing a million basically pretty much healthy people when, uh, you know, when essentially 
the number of people with you know with symptoms it's very much amongst the young people but it is just such a huge huge waste of money yeah no one else is testing no like we're i mean testing. i don't and what i don't know is whether these are school tests whether these are nhs tests whether these are people who are testing and walking past them I don't know if you walk past that testing center down by london bridge station there's never anybody in it no right i mean occasionally you see a, sort of somebody kind of staggering out of there like they've just spent the night there by mistake you know and i just don't understand what's going on it's um it's pretty extraordinary. Well, uh, the news will continue through the day on that. Who knows? But I just think we're we're testing way too many people. We shouldn't be wasting all our money. I mean, no one really knows the daily bill for the testing, mm. but it's probably somewhere between thirty and fifty million quid Only of our money. Surprised. You know, if, you, if you've got sort of a million tests a day at thirty to fifty quid, and it, it just brings you on to the next uh, saga, which of course is that. On the one hand, they're reducing the requirements if you come back into the country to have a PCR test. Mm. You're still going to have to pay for a lateral flow test. Right. So prop up some uh, private providers. And I suspect what will happen is that the price of the lateral flow test will go up. Will go up, yeah. Uh, because uh, the providers will realise that they can still make hay whilst even if the sun doesn't shine, <laughs> like this morning. Um, but and you think, this is ludicrous. You know, I can go down the road and get a free lateral flow test from the NHS. Mm. Why have I got to pay 40, 50, 60 quid for a lateral flow test and prop up someone else's profits? It's, yeah. it's just another, it's another tax uh, from decent, ordinary British families uh, into the testing company. And once again, these decisions are made based on what exactly? I mean, why suddenly decide that the PCR test is no longer required and now you can do a different test, which is less reliable, more easily uh, forged, and basically has no consequences whatsoever. Uh, I still hear from people all the time who have come back from their summer holidays, didn't bother doing a day two test, and nobody's been in touch with them. Yeah, look, I think right? the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing has fallen apart. Everyone realizes that it's a nonsense. You know, if you've got symptoms, get tested. Otherwise, across much of the world, you know, if you're healthy, you don't need to be tested. That's what most people are doing. Yeah, and yeah, you know, we've got we've got the most officious and I think the most expensive testing regime. Uh, of anywhere that I can think of. Mm. And the the whole thing is, it's such a waste of money. It's such a waste of, of resources. And it's it's a hindrance. Mm. And it's it's it really is just a, it's a redistribution of wealth from people trying to go around their, their daily lives into the pockets of a few, uh, you know, testing companies. And I just think it's it's another sign of illogical madness yeah. from this government. Well, exactly right. And now, now to move on to the next stage of the madness, let's talk about this COP26 nonsense, right, where uh, we're going to have loads and loads of people flying into Glasgow, you know, driving around, as I say, trying to avoid all the drug addicts, you know, who like litter the streets of Sucky Hall Street uh, and, and, and all the other various, but George Square and all of that. Uh, none of them will have to take any tests. None of them have to test. They're, no. they're all going to be fine because obviously they don't have COVID. Because well, they're, they're obviously, obviously international diplomats. COVID is so clever yeah. that it realises that it mustn't touch the international diplomats and the political leaders. Right. It must avoid them right. uh, and just target <laughs> uh, target um, uh, it the citizens. It, it, it absolutely beggars belief. 25,000 people. Uh, I mean, it, it's going to be good for the Scottish economy, I guess. Uh, if you can get a uh, if you can get a room, I, yeah. gather, I gather someone did a check. Right. Um, a normal hotel room that would cost about forty quid mm. uh, in uh, during the fortnight was going to cost fourteen hundred pounds a night, <laughs> which <laughs> well, is why they're bringing well, in a couple of cruise liners. I mean, you can charge anyone any money you like; it's not their money. It's all their, all their but, taxpayers are paying for it, right? The whole thing is is absurd. I mean, President Xi. So President is, Xi's not coming. He's not coming. Right. Putin's uh, not coming. Putin said that he doesn't think he can come because of COVID. 
But the reality is, we know what's going to happen here is that uh, countries like the UK are going to make legally binding commitments, and a few countries will do that. And most countries will make a bit of noise and say, yes, they're going to, they'll nod their heads. Mm. They won't make legally binding commitments. Right. And China, I suspect, will also uh, nod its head and say, we'll do our very best. Um, but again, won't make any legally binding no. commitments. And we'll go home and we'll literally laugh all the way to the bank mm. as we hair shirt virtue signaling, send hundreds of thousands of jobs and tens of billions of pounds of, of British families' money mm. to China. Yeah. And the whole thing they is... They announced this week, did they not, that they're going to continue with their programme of building new coal-fired power stations. They've got absolutely no intention of ratcheting that back or doing anything. Look, we all want to reduce emissions, but it has to be strategic, it has to be affordable, and it has to be proportionate. We represent about 1% of CO2 emissions in the world. China's approaching 30% and growing as they build more coal-fired power stations. And they're clearly not going to play ball. No. Uh, you know, and and it's. I just think the whole thing is we are being so naive, and the British people are in danger of being utterly legged over mm. by our own government, yeah. who are not being honest with us about the true cost yeah. of what I call their net stupid program. It's not net zero. No, it's net stupid. It really is because this other ridiculous story this morning. We're going to be talking about this later on in the show. Households pushed to scrap gas boilers with a five thousand pound grant. Prime Minister apparently is going to print. I mean, this is when you know you've reached peak idiocy, right? This is the name of the scheme, the boiler upgrade scheme. I mean, it sounds like something out it's of the not, two Ronnies. It's, it's, not a boi- it? it's not an upgrade, it's the boiler demolish scheme. Yeah. And, and I love all this suggestion that, oh, you're going to get a grant from the government. No, that's our money. Mm. There's no such thing as government money. There's it's, no money. It's taxpayers' money. And I've done so it, and I've to- done it, working on the calculation that uh, we know that Insulate Britain have told us that 29 million households need to be insulated, right? So I've taken that as we have 29 million households. That pronouncing um, by the old uh, upgrade scheme, £5,000 times £29 million is £145 billion. Where's For, it gonna, where is that coming from? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's our money, uh, and that's in order to provide uh, heat pumps that are noisy, uh, space-consuming, inefficient, and won't heat your water or your radiators or your rooms mm. to the same temperature that your boiler currently does. So right. literally, uh, you know, I mean, Boris's boiler ban will literally freeze your gran. And I just think that uh, everybody needs to wake up as to the uh, the nature of what this government is proposing. And I think it's, you know, the cost of it is just through the roof. Uh, and then, obviously, if you had one of these heat pumps, they cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds more uh, to run every year of electricity. And, of course, yeah. we know what's happening to electricity prices. They're going through the roof. Mm. Why? Because this government has completely mismanaged energy policy mm. for the last decade. Yeah. And here we are. We were talking about this last week. I'm still none the wiser as to how this stops, how the prices stop rising, how we get to the point where we go, well, now the government has finally put a cap on that's actually controllable. Because if we keep hearing from government ministers, oh, well, the cap's working. And you go, sorry, the cap is not Look, working. You, you can't stop the price rising when you're reliant on importing gas from from Russia and Norway and electricity from Macron you know you are exposed to global prices and whereas if if we had actually uh, if we'd enhanced our nuclear program uh, a few years ago if we were using what the Tories promised us which was the shale gas literally the golden gas under our feet if we were using that then we could benefit from much much lower ga- uh, gas prices as they are enjoying in the United States of America because yeah. of course They've got their own shale gas, and they're, and they're extracting it safely, easily, happily, 
and cheaply. It's all about uh, self-reliance and uh, being in control of your own destiny. Mm. As a sovereign nation, that's the joy of Brexit, and yeah. and that's what we should do. And I think it's, I think it's it's extraordinary what uh, what this government has has done. They've they've sort of become completely. Uh, sort of punch drunk yeah. on the idea of just-in-time energy coming in from wherever, and it would always be available. Well, it is on a sunny day, mm. um, but when anything breaks, be it a dodgy French connector, uh, or when Putin wakes up and, and feels a bit grumpy and yeah. cuts off the supply, things ain't so good, and the uh, the gas price spikes. Meanwhile, it's good to know that the unions are holding up the uh, the nation's flag and saying, we will not be beaten, we will not stop uh, the delivery of food and goods and services for Christmas. Uh, actually, that's not what they're doing. What they are doing is holding Christmas hostage, according to uh, the Telegraph this morning. Unite the union, run by Sharon Graham, who's only just been admitted into it. I, I think we do leader. need to, we do need to know her relation to you, Mike. Yes. I mean, I'm concerned about this. Listen, you, I'm completely. I'm slightly, we need to see your family tree. I'm slightly concerned that this is now the second Graham uh, that has come into the news with you and I recently. The first was the, the, the governor of the Isle of Wight. Jail. There are a few right. dodgy green genes in the Graham family there somewhere. Are. There certainly are. Here's their statement about lorry driver shortages, right? The treatment of drivers across the board has been nothing short of a disgrace. I mean, I don't remember them ever saying anything about this before. They've never said that the treatment of uh, European Union-led uh, drivers yes. was a disgrace because they were quite happy to pay them no money at all so that the British drivers couldn't make any money. They then say, as the Prime Minister said recently, the answer to the driver shortages is better wages and improved conditions. This is what we demand. And it says, now is the time for action, not words. Britain's drivers kept the nation moving during the worst crisis in living memory. Time for employers to pay them a proper rate for the job. And they're basically threatening to take them all out on strike. Well, the good news is that actually it's only a very small percentage of uh, of drivers that are union members, which is, of course, the case across actually yes. uh, the vast majority of uh, the UK workforce. Uh, what I think what we're seeing actually across a number of areas, whether it's whether it's um, unite with some lorry drivers, whether it's the BMA, uh, you know the um, uh, the the GPs union, mm. um, which is which again is utterly which militant, is a disgrace. By which the is way. an absolute disgrace. These, you know, Long you know track what's record. been annoying me about them this week is that they've been rolling people out on all sorts of radio stations. Not this one because I won't talk to them. Um, where they talk about how terrible it is that uh, doctors are being attacked. Everywhere you look, you know, like the media's attacking them, politicians are attacking them. Well, that's because they're not doing their bleeding job. Yeah, I mean, it is extraordinary. And they are, whatever the government does, um, whatever anybody suggests, isn't good enough. Mm. And so I, I just think what we're seeing is we're seeing unions in a number of different areas trying to flex their muscles. Yeah. I actually think, happily, these are literally the twitches of a dying. Uh, a dying movement yes, a because dinosaur. Uh, literally it's the last dying twitches mm. of a dinosaur but it's the bma with gps it's the unite with the lorry drivers mm. you've got some of the teacher unions we've seen those uh, you know bleating in in recent months well, do you remember they're and, trying and, to stop the schools opening the that's right unions. And, and they still want kids to wear masks which is damaging for their for their mental health yeah. and causes anxiety and reduces learning and then of course you've got the unions uh, threatening down at the dvla uh, to cause more trouble. Well, I said yesterday, how would you know if the DVLA went on strike? Because they haven't done anything for two years. So, which is part of the reason why we've got a bureaucratic backlog, which right. is one of the reasons, of course, why uh, lorry drivers can't get yeah, their licences. Exactly. And it's the same with the DVSA. And so it goes on. And I, know, I, I just think that uh, most people now just absolutely just had enough of this sort of thing. I'm just, you know, where there's things to be done, roll the sleeves up and just get on with it. Get it done. And... I, uh, I think these unions are actually make, starting to make mm. themselves look really foolish. Yes, they really are. And, of course, they're also milking 
the money that they get from the individual members of those unions and just spending it lavish on lavish dinners. You know, do you remember um, who was that guy that was in charge of the, the, the tube workers union? He was constantly in, in Mayfair having, you know, slap up meals at 700 quid a time. Bob uh, Crow. Bob, yes. You know, I mean, a lot of people said he was a great guy, but I mean, he didn't have a care in the world about spending his members' money uh, on fancy lunches and champagne. I think we see this uh, all over, all over the place with uh, with these unions. But, but I, I do think that it's. I think people are seeing the light, and it really is just. I just think it's totally unacceptable to be to be threatening. Uh, you know, all of us in the way that they are across various various different sectors. Uh, of the economy now is actually the time for everybody so right we're coming out of this covid crisis now we've got to push on we've got to whatever bumps in the road there are let's find ways around it and yeah. you know my view is frankly if the dvla won't come back to work and if they want to go on strike then a bunch of other folk whether it's people from the army lots of other people will come in sort yeah. out the applications clear the backlog and then work out whether we need them anymore i mean I just think people are just fed up with this stuff. Yeah, I really do. They totally are. Stay with us, Richard. We're going to stop for a moment and uh, take a little stock, see what's going on. We've got some more things to talk about. Richard's got a show coming up, of course, this weekend. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice is here with me and I managed to get something wrong already. We've only been going for 20 minutes and uh, apparently <laughs> no, you're not doing, doing You're show. doing great, but I, I am, uh, I'm taking a week off, so right. I'm, I'm not in on Sunday. I mean, Peter Cardwell is. What are you, the sort of Andrew Neil of uh, Talk Radio? You do a couple of weeks <laughs> and then you're off for an, oh, a year. Here we go, here hey, we go. I mean, this is not the way forward, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of us, uh, the conference is over. We need a break before Actually, the, uh, the next battle's you, ahead. Yes, you have, you have been working it, quite hard. Been, uh, it's been full on. Mm. Let's so talk this... about uh, energy some more because more and more of these energy companies are going bust, right? And the government seemingly is letting them. And I'm quite happy with that. I don't think the government should be saving them, do you? No, I mean, it's the Wild West out there with these energy companies. Lots of them are literally not much more than, uh, you know, a website, um, a customer portal and about 50 grand in the bank. And right. so, uh, you know, you and I could set one up. Mm. And and so lots of them have Let's been going bust. Let's... <laughs> And, and and the sad truth is that, therefore, um, millions of, of customers are seeing that actually uh, their supplier has, has essentially gone mm. bust. And they're not really a supplier, they're just a marketing device. Right. And so they go bust, and then your fixed deal has gone. Mm. And you're then, you're transferred to a different supplier, you have no choice about that. And you're back to a standard variable rate. So it'd be interesting, for example, listeners, viewers, what experience you've had. If you've had, if your supplier has gone bust, mm. what are the increase in the bills that people are, are experiencing? I think we've got to get this message out there. Well, Tell I us think, what, I mean, what, what's been, happening with people's bills. Yeah, because we've both been saying this for a few weeks now. That there doesn't see, appear to be any kind of control on it. You know, it seems as though the, the energy price will do what it will. The government doesn't seem in any way capable of stopping it from going up. And they don't seem to know how to kind of assure well, the, the public that actually, don't worry, we won't let this become a disaster. But the reality is, it's only October. Mm. And I'm afraid just the way things work, uh, you know, there's that sort of that, that law, isn't there? You know, when things are bad. And so y you sort of have a, a bad feeling. Just imagine if this is the coldest winter mm. for 20 or 30 years, you know, when it's in December and January, and, you know, if it's really, really cold, then imagine what's going to happen to people's bills. Right. And you imagine what, you know, the likes of Putin, what the likes of, uh, you know, the, the suppliers of energy, of oil and gas from the Middle East, 
you know, the price will be going yeah. through the roof. And the price of oil is already hit. I think it was $80 a barrel the other day, didn't it? And this is just the beginning. And people think it's going to go above 100 So, well, anything could happen. These, these prices, you know, they are a law unto themselves. Mm. But what I worry about is that it's not even cold yet. Right. And the price is at these levels. And I think geopolitically, we could see some some very challenging times. And ultimately, mm. it's the it's the you know domestic households and businesses that pay, and it's it's going to be a difficult yeah. time. Final question, I guess, should be about the EU this week because oh. um, Lord Frost has been doing his business, and and we're waiting to see what the fallout will be on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, do you think that it looks like the beginning of some kind of proper sensible the, um, sort of deal? There's no question that the EU have realised that uh, Lord Frost will uh, serve Article 16 to mm. terminate the protocol unless there is some significant change. Yeah. Uh, I think he's called their bluff on that point, quite rightly. I actually think he should uh, he should invoke the, uh, the, the Article 16. But look, they're negotiating. He must keep a very tight deadline on it. They've talked about two or three weeks. You know what the EU's like, mm. that means two or three months. Yeah. And um, what I worry about is that they try and bring in the negotiations around fishing and, and all the right. fishing licences into this whole gamut ahead of the French election. So I suspect there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge on mm, this one. I think so. Well, Richard, good to see you, as ever. Um, we'll see you when you're back after your break. Well, I'll, will I see you next Friday? Uh, or are you going to be away for that as I'll, well? I'll be away, but I'll, I'll, I'll come in on Zoom. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, what's <laughs> going on? Anyway, Richard Tice, a man of uh, mystery. This is Talk Radio across the UK. Online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, just before we talk to Cathy Adams, who's the Senior Content Editor of Travel uh, at The Times right here uh, in News UK's headquarters, um, have you seen this new John Lewis ad? The ad basically is... I guess the Christmas ad, which we always talk about, we always fall for the same thing. Um, we're not going to be able to let you hear the music of it, but if you're watching television, you'll be able to see now. Uh, there's a little kid uh, who gets dressed up. Uh, he's a little boy, he gets dressed up as a girl. Lots of people seem to be worked up about the fact that he's dressed as a girl. I don't care about that. That's not the issue for me. But basically, the kid's walking around the house completely wrecking it, trashing it, kicking things over. He sticks his hand in some paint, sticks it on the wall, makes a complete mess of the place. And of course, their idea is that you know stuff happens and therefore you should be relaxed about it and you shouldn't worry about it and that basically you should let children be children you should let them do whatever they want you know because after all it's all about their self-expression well I'm sorry it's not about their self-expression if he was my son he'd get a clip around the ear because he's messing up the house and if you tried to claim on insurance which is what they're trying to say you can do through John Lewis you would not get any money at all because you have got a bratty child who has basically trashed your house. Let life happen, is what this uh, caption says on the home insurance. What a load of old rubbish. I'm sorry. This is encouraging bad behaviour. It is rewarding stupid children for doing things which they don't care about. I'm not happy about it. And if I were you, John Lewis, I would pull the ad because, quite frankly, it is giving the wrong information out to people who think that, oh, don't worry, you know, little Tarquin has managed to throw paint all over the walls, so we'll just claim it back from the home insurance. I bet you any money, the first question will be, why did you let the kid do it? I'm afraid we can't cover you for that. Thanks very much indeed. Let's talk to Cathy Adams. Uh, I'm sure a very sensible woman who would not encounter such nonsense. Cathy, very good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Thank you very much for joining me. Sorry about that little rant there, but I just thought I'd get it off my chest. Now, um, tell us what's going on, because we're all still a bit confused, Frank. Every time there's a new rule that comes out about travelling anywhere, 
I always have to sort of check every single pocket that I've got to see whether uh, I can make any sense of it. What's actually happened? <laughs> okay, so yes, uh, today sort of marks a, well, I suppose yes, actually, when, when it was finally announced. And then on the 24th of October, when it's all going to take effect, it's the kind of last stage in what has been a summer of kind of loosening very, very slowly loosening the restrictions on double jab travellers. So from the 24th of October, double jabbed travellers are able to just take a cheaper lateral flow test rather than a PCR test within the first two days of arriving back into the UK. Right. It's important to know that is not from the red list. So that that very slim um, list of seven countries on the red list, which is mostly in Central America and South America, they well, they will, will still mandate hotel quarantine and PCR testing on the way in. But for everywhere else, which is most of the world, you know, all the kind of heavy hitter holiday destinations, including Mexico, Indonesia, South Africa, they got dropped um, this week. Right. It means that you only need to spend around £20 per person on a lateral flow test when you come back into the UK. So it's absolutely amazing news. So, so pleased because it, yeah, it's going to open up travel in a much more meaningful way. You know, it's been a really miserable summer mm. for the industry and for holiday makers, sort of, as you just said, having to figure out what on earth is going on right. at any point. And, you know, even for people in the industry, it's been really hard to kind of get your head around. Well, it's been incredible to me that many more businesses in the travel industry haven't just folded and just haven't been able to carry on. I've got a couple of questions here from, from people listening. Run from Ray, sure. who says, are you able to find out if we can still use two-day PCR tests that we've already purchased for a return from a holiday to Gibraltar in November? Because, of course, a lot oh. of people have done this where they're booking a, ho uh, a holiday for some time in the future at the same time as doing that, they have to book the test. So are those tests going to be okay for them to take then? Absolutely, yes. Not a problem at all. Uh, the way that the government sees it is that as long as you are testing, that is completely fine. So, yeah. And it's it's a problem that a lot of people have had. I mean, I've generally given advice to people going abroad to book your test, your mm. day two test, as late as possible yes. that you can get away with because you never know what is going to happen. And, you know, now obviously the PCR tests have been dropped for lateral flows. So, yes, you're going to be absolutely fine with the PCR. Absolutely good. So what about America? I've got one here from uh, somebody who's uh, Stephen Redding who said, is it OK oh. for him to book a trip to the USA on the 20th of November? I spoke to Simon Calder about this the last time he was on and he was saying that uh, yes. it looks like if you follow, if you sort of track the uh, the price of tickets, they seem to rise around about the 15th, mm. So, which would suggest that the, the airlines think it's going to be about the 15th, don't they? I mean, this is a question that we've we've been getting again and again, and it's so frustrating not to be able to give a proper answer. So the government has said in the US, you know, early November, I mean, that could stretch anywhere from the 1st of November till about the 12th or 13th, right. I suppose. Right. You know, no official date has been given, but from what, what we're seeing, and I mean, you know, there are giant... Um, billboards for British Airways at the moment in London Bridge, you know, advertising sort of eight flights a day to New York. Mm. They obviously are very, very bullish. Um, airlines have wrapped up their schedules. I would be moderately confident of traveling around Thanksgiving, which is what, third or fourth week of November. It, it's so hard to say whether or not you should book a trip. I mean, I personally would wait and see what is going on. But obviously the moment the real date gets announced flight prices are going to are going to soar yes and we're going to be in a situation where you're paying you know sort of two thousand pounds just for a single to new york so it's really tough but i think i would say wait and is it the case now though that if you were to book a, a, a flight and then somehow you couldn't yet go because the lifting hadn't happened 
Um, I'm asking for myself here because we're thinking about going for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it not better to book the ticket now because on the basis that if it has to move, they won't actually charge you to move the date? I don't know um, individual airlines kind of policies, but throughout the pandemic, they have been very, very friendly to, you know, um, people that want to book and then postpone for whatever reason, right. you know, local lockdowns, um, stuff moving onto our red list. Mm. So airlines tend to be quite friendly towards that. Although I did book a British Airways flight a couple of weeks ago right. to Spain for New Year, which should be nice. Hopefully very nice. not very, hopefully warm. Yeah. Feliz Navidad um, and, and all that. Ah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was surprised and I, I think I booked one and the flexible booking policy, I believe, wasn't on my ticket. But mm. what I would say to do before I give any solid advice is check with that airline. Obviously, if you book a package holiday, that's completely different. You're covered. But if you want to just book an individual ticket, do double check with the airline's booking policies before you go, because, you know, we are, especially in the UK, we're right at the tail end of the pandemic here. Mm. And while, you know, airlines and travel companies want to be as flexible as possible, some of them are saying, well, you know, technically our restrictions here are very, very low. So do double check with the airline before you, you know, mm. buy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And is there any chance, do you think, Cathy, that come the Christmas period, because we're talking sort of now in the lead up to uh, half term holidays, I suppose, um, as we get closer to Christmas, is there any chance, do you think, that the testing regime might just disappear? Uh, or oh, perhaps gosh. the perhaps the uh, natural flows will cost 100 quid each or something? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I wish I had a crystal ball and I, I could see all so of this. I. I know that <laughs> make our jobs a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so the industry has very much been calling for, you know, a dropping of all restrictions for double vaccinated people. You know, mm. the argument is if you're vaccinated, then surely what is the problem with you traveling? Do you need a test at all? Right. Even though we now know that lateral flow tests are quite accurate. Um, I would say that they are here to stay if i if i were going to hazard a guess mm. i would say they're here to stay for a while longer um because they are not much of a burden on the holiday maker they are cheap they're easy to yeah, do as long as they stay cheap they're not a burden but if they get expensive well, exactly. then that's a different ball game isn't it i would say at the moment the number of operators and the competition is very strong which is driving you know open market prices down so I'm not too worried about them, you know, soaring up to 100, 200 pounds or whatever. Um, but you know what? I, I can't predict the future, unfortunately. <laughs> mm. No, I know. If only we could, that would be great. Cathy, thanks for talking <laughs> to us. Appreciate your time. Cathy Adams, Senior Content Editor from the Travel Department at The Times and The Sunday Times, of course. Much more for us to do. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to be talking uh, about the green problem because uh, I've got this tweet here uh, from Phil who says, a £5,000 grant for a system that costs well north of that and they expect everybody to do it. These watermelons in Whitehall are generally convinced that everyone is running around bricking themselves that we're all going to burn to death in four years. Numpties. Very true. Absolute morons. Idiots. Planks, you might say. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, how about this for being damned with faint praise? Gary uh, has uh, tweeted in. He says, I thought here in South Africa we are world leaders in shooting ourselves in both feet, but listening to and watching talk radio, the UK is not far behind. Corruption, energy crisis, self-serving politicians and an uncivil service. Thankfully, Cape Town at least has lots of free sunshine. Well, I must say, if you are going to live in a world where you can't trust the politicians, you can't afford to to heat your home, you can't afford to drive anywhere, you can't afford to do anything, you can't afford to go on holiday anywhere because it's too difficult, I suppose Cape Town could be one of the better places to do that in. Certainly better than being in Britain, where the weather between now and March is not usually going to be all that wonderful. If it is going to be a very cold winter, what on earth are we going to do? Because people's energy bills are going through the roof. And I'd love to hear from all of you about what your uh, messaging is, is, is getting like. Because an awful lot of people are sending me messages that they're getting from their energy companies who are all basically saying, uh, you know what, we think we should increase your direct debit. Well, don't let them do it. If I was put in that position, I would just cancel the direct debit altogether and say, thanks very much indeed. If you don't want to supply me with energy, which I pay for when I feel like it, if you want to supply me with energy where you take the money when you feel like it and you take as much money as you want, that ain't the way it's going to play. I think we need a massive revolution in this country in the way that these uh, operations operate with us. Let's talk to Harry Wilkinson, head of policy at Net Zero Watch. Harry, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. We've got a real kind of, uh, sort of perfect storm brewing here. I mean, I'm not one for um, telling people that it's all going to go horribly wrong and we're all going to be having a miserable Christmas with no toys and no food and, and no petrol. But the energy crisis genuinely is a proper crisis because people are now being told they have to increase their direct debits by as much as 50%. Some people are being told their energy prices have gone to 100% of what they were this time last year. The government doesn't seem to have a handle on how to fix this. That's right. And the government's actually to blame for a lot of the factors that are making this crisis uh, worse. Mm. The United States, they pay uh, only a sixth of what we're paying for natural gas. And those high natural gas prices are behind these high electricity bills and high gas bills that people are seeing. Now, we closed our gas storage facility. We said no to fracking. So we're we're leaving all these uh, resources in the ground. Um, and we're relying on increasingly wind and solar, which uh, are very variable. Uh, and uh, in September, we saw a very low wind month. Um, so uh, there was just uh, a very limited amount of energy generation 
online and prices rose dramatically. Yes. And the government just doesn't seem to be um, aware of what's causing the problems and doesn't seem to have any solutions. No. Uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of take Boris Johnson's point that the government can't fix everything. And I, I accept that. And that's fine. But in this case, the energy prices are absolutely uh, solidly in their in their ballpark, I think, and in their wheelhouse, if you like. And they need to be able to somehow limit the ability of these companies to just charge whatever they want. That's right. But uh, at the same time, the companies are restricted by the energy price cap, which caps what they can charge. Um, but the cap has Well, it just, doesn't uh, seem to be capping anything, though, Harry, because we keep hearing that from the politicians. But I can personally tell you that my own bill has risen dramatically by nearly 100%. Well, it's quite extraordinary, these rises. And I would advise people to just be careful uh, before leaving current deals, because actually the, the latest deals that people are being asked to put on could be even higher. So we don't want to see people exiting their existing arrangements only to be stuck on even higher deals mm. elsewhere. Um, but uh, it is outrageous. We want to get uh, bills down. And the way you do that is to have a competitive market uh, in which the government sets the parameters, but actually companies compete to deliver competitive prices. Whereas this government has been meddling so much in energy policy over many, many years. We see so many interventions um, and those complications have added huge amounts onto energy bills uh, and they've created a, a market that's frankly uh, dysfunctional. No, it really is. But um, I guess my point, Harry, is, is that it's all very well saying there is a cap, but it doesn't appear to be working. You know, I'm sorry for these electricity companies that they've only been able to make enough billions over the course of the last 10 years uh, to keep themselves in private yachts and very expensive houses all over Europe. But, you know, I don't really care about them. What I care about is how much the average household is having to pay to heat their home and to keep themselves warm. You're right, and it's not really a cap if the government keeps uh, raising it, which is what they're doing. Mm. Um, but at the same time, if they didn't, all these companies would go bust. Because Would uh, they, though? I mean, these companies make an awful lot of money, Harry, and quite frankly, what the government should be doing, in my view anyway, is taking away the green subsidy, which amounts to somewhere between 10 and 20% of every bill, and that would be a start, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's, it's close to £200 uh, on every household energy bill that is going towards these green subsidies. Mm. Um, and, and that's not a very um, uh, fair way to uh, impose these costs on people because poorer people pay the biggest proportion of their income right. on energy bills. Mm. So this hits poorer people relatively harder. Um, and if that was moved onto general taxation, that would certainly be a much fairer way uh, to fund these uh, renewable energy projects. But the whole, the whole agenda to increase our reliance on intermittent renewables um, has been a disaster. We've paid through the teeth for these unreliable technologies, um, and now the costs are coming home to roost. Mm. Um, the government needs to actually be focusing on reliable technologies that can provide the energy when it's needed um, and, and then we may see lower prices in the future. At the moment, it's so committed to decarbonisation that affordability and reliability have just gone out the window. Mm. And surely those are the two most important things when it comes to, you know, people being able to actually have a reasonable standard of living because you can't live uh, if you can't afford to heat your home. Cheap, reliable energy is the foundation of a successful economy. It uh, provides all 
the goods and services rely on energy. Uh, and of course, people need to stay warm. And in this country, even without COVID, we were seeing tens of thousands of excess winter deaths mm. each year. And, and a, a lot of those deaths are associated with fuel poverty. Fuel poverty is still a huge issue. Um, and uh, so we need that focus on affordability from the government. We need a concerted effort to get prices down um, in, in, in any way they can, because people will... Uh, freeze in the winter and no one wants to see that. No, of course not. Meanwhile, the Queen uh, appears to have taken a step into the fray. I'm not entirely convinced that uh, her quotes this morning, which the papers have jumped all over, are not really about climate change as such and are more about how she doesn't know who's coming to this COP26 summit. Well, I think the Queen is picking up up here on something that is very real, uh, which is that other countries aren't pulling their weight um, in terms of these climate negotiations. Mm. What we've seen with Alok Sharma is someone who's scuttling around on aeroplanes, by the way. He's got a huge carbon footprint, and he's been going to all these different countries, uh, asking them to support his deal. He's so desperate to do a deal uh, that he will accept anything from these countries, and still they don't want to come. What we need is a much more hard-headed approach um, that will actually... Uh, rely on China and other countries making serious commitments. China is increasing its use of coal, um, and and that's where all the emissions rises are in the future. We're just not much more than 1% of world emissions. Um, And if we're so desperate to do a deal, and if Alok Sharma is so desperate to do a deal that he'll accept anything, uh, then he's clearly not putting Britain's interest first. He needs to make our pledges conditional, we can't just say we're going to do net zero, whatever. Mm. We have to actually leverage our commitments to try and secure uh, agreements from other countries as well. Because otherwise, what we'll see is all our industry closed down. We'll see us pay the costs of these policies uh, and industry will move to those other countries instead. And, and uh, that's the process that's been happening over the last couple of decades. Yes. And there needs to be a much better approach than that. Well, it seems to me there's a sort of collective madness going on. I mean, this meeting in Glasgow is really not about very much of anything at all concrete, is it? It's all about trying to make people uh, sign up to some kind of nebulous deal that in the future they will do something. Whereas actually um, they can say anything they want. They can sign anything they want. There's no real binding legal guarantee to anything that they decide. It's an incredibly self-indulgent conference in which 30,000 or so delegates will fly in from around the world. Just think of all the emissions that you could actually save at this conference. Oh, I know. It's madness. Um, And they'll they'll roll out these predictable lines that this is the last chance to save the world um, and uh, otherwise we're all doomed. And then at the last minute, they'll pull out some agreement which basically says, we agree to do this all again next year. Um, It is a... uh, a clown show. It's utterly ridiculous. Um, and uh, we need a uh, hard-headed approach from government. There's, there's no uh, doubting why uh, we ha- we're stuck in this repeating process of uh, negotiations, because Western governments seem so committed uh, to decarbonise anyway, uh, that uh, there's just no pressure on other countries to actually decarbonise. Um, and so the whole um, 
show just keeps continuing with no real progress. No, and I'm really staggered, actually, Harry, as to how we got here, because I guess maybe we weren't paying attention when we should have been. But this whole agenda that Boris Johnson is, is running, this whole green sort of craziness, um, has crept up on us over the course of years. And we're now kind of confronted with this seemingly... Um, negative choice that all we can now do is go green well i mean i'm not convinced frankly i'm not convinced that we can make a difference to the rest of the world i'm not convinced that whatever we do uh, will change anything i mean you look towards that volcano down in uh, uh, the canary islands and you realize that actually the earth is an incredibly powerful and uh, physically in you know sort of intimidating beast and there's little that we can do whether we're driving around in a range rover or cycling that's going to make any difference to the future at all well, this is a hugely costly agenda, and we have to balance up those costs alongside any potential benefits. Um, and uh, it's just uh, been seen so many times that these policies have actually cost way, way above any realistic element of the so estimate of the social cost of carbon. Mm. That's the damage, say, done by emitting a one tonne of CO2. So the policies we've been implementing have been much more expensive than that. So their costs are greater than the benefits. Most people who voted in the last election probably voted on Brexit. They wanted to see Brexit done. Yeah. So they voted for this government. Uh, and now they've wheeled out, as you say, this green agenda that's come from elite society. It's come from Carrie and her band of advisors who seem to think this is the latest uh, sort of way to convince young people to vote Conservative. Um, but actually, uh, there's not been much democratic consent. People haven't been given a choice. All the major parties are offering different versions of these same decarbonisation policies that haven't been working. There is such little choice at the ballot box right now. Um, and we need to see a realistic energy policy that can get prices down, deliver affordability, reliability, and actually, the decarbonisation agenda will be more successful if we can prove it on a low-cost basis. Mm. No countries are going to want to copy us if our policies are so expensive. They will just look at us and think, this is a disaster. Why on earth would we want to copy yeah. Like that. Well, exactly right. I mean, I'm looking at page one of the Telegraph today as well. Um, they've got a plan, apparently, the government, to loan £5,000 to every household to put in uh, uh, heat pumps instead of gas boilers, right? But I'm reliably informed that most heat pump systems cost around about 15000 So not only are they lending money they don't have to people uh, so that they can do something they don't want to do, they're then expecting them to come up with £10,000 of their own money, which is quite frankly ludicrous. I mean, nobody's got that kind of money. This is a shocking waste of money. Heat pumps don't actually even heat your home to an acceptable standard. Right. Most people, if they buy one of these, uh, will have to get used to having uh, rooms upstairs in the winter that get too cold um, and, and have problems with dampness as well because yeah. you have to commit to so many energy efficiency improvements that you may lose a lot of the ventilation that your house had before. Right. So this is a technology that isn't ready. And the government's spending huge sums, basically paying for these devices right. for people, will uh, will spend an awful lot of money to achieve a worse situation, a less efficient boiler system mm. that actually leaves people colder and leaves them with higher energy bills as well. So let's focus on innovation. 
And let's introduce a new technology when it's ready, when it's affordable, when it can deliver the kind of heating that people are used to. This is a premature technology uh, that uh, will see billions go down the drain. Uh, and that will benefit, all that money will go to wealthier households who can afford these upfront costs. Yes. And the you know, costs. It's the sort of reverse form of uh, social mobility where you're actually taking money away from the general taxpayer mm. and giving it in enormous amounts to wealthy households only to give them worse. Uh, heating systems. Worse heating systems, yeah. And the other factor that we haven't mentioned yet um, is the cost of business, right? Because I know that Lance Foreman, who runs um, uh, a food business here in the East End of London, put out a tweet, and this was some time ago, that his electricity bill for his company was likely to rise by about £150,000 in the next year, which he can just about manage. But still, it's a hell of an amount of money to have to you know, take into uh, consideration when you're working out whether you're making a profit or not. I've got this from May Boop, who says, uh, business electricity prices are going through the roof. I'm absolutely fuming. Our energy provider, EDF, have quoted us for our electricity renewal £4.90 plus VAT for standing charges, which at the moment uh, is an increase from 0 0.25 pence, right? So they've basically, um, I can't even work out what the percentage is, 100%, 400% uh, increase would take it to a pound. They've gone up to nearly £5. That's extraordinary. And he says, as a business, we are going to be forced into accepting these prices, but other suppliers are similar. It's ludicrous. Well, businesses aren't protected from a lot of those climate policy costs uh, that uh, domestic energy consumers are prote protected from. So the increases we've seen in business energy bills have been way and above anything that uh, people have been seeing uh, in their own homes. So, but we, we can't escape those costs eventually falling on all of us because businesses have to pass those costs on. Business can't just absorb costs as an abstraction. You know, all those costs will feed through to the consumer through higher prices, um, it may lead to job losses if companies go bust. So actually all these climate change policy costs are feeding through and people will face the cost of those in due course. So the government can't just hide all these costs away by levying them on businesses. Uh, we will all suffer if they do that. And they need to get business. They need to get energy bills down for everybody, right. um, including businesses. Absolutely right, Harry. Thank you very much indeed for your input there, Harry Wilkinson, head of policy at Net Zero Watch, with an awfully uh, good description of an awful lot of what is wrong with this government's climate change policy, including uh, the ridiculous nature of these heat pumps. Right? How about this, by the way? I've been talking about direct debits. News just just in here uh, it says Citizens Advice Bureau is calling for action by Ofgem, the energy watchdog. I'm after being contacted by several consumers hit with unexpectedly high payments over the past few weeks to energy companies. Energy providers are being accused of increasing households' monthly direct debit payments in a breach of industry rules. So, if anyone out there thinks that I'm not talking sense here, uh, you must now know that that's all we do at the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. All we do is talk sense. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, this is an interesting tweet on the subject of energy costs. Les says this, about five or six years ago, I had an instance where Scottish Power took nearly £300 out of a monthly direct debit without notification. It wasn't the money, it was the principal. I phoned my bank, then Clydesdale, and they immediately returned the amount to my account. Yeah, my advice to you is if you're 
being threatened by your power company, by your supplier, uh, because they're saying we're going to take more money out of your direct debit than you had previously agreed to. I think you shut it down, you tell them you're going to cancel the direct debit uh, and you fight back and you move, if possible, to another provider because I think that is wrong, I think it's exploitative and uh, Citizens Advice also thinks that. They're asking Ofgem to step in and do something about it. So if you've got a story for us, we'd like to hear it. 0344 499 Let's talk to Trevor Kavanagh uh, from The Sun. Columnist, of course, uh, a man uh, who knows a thing or two about how this country should be run and how it used to be run. Trevor, very good afternoon to you. Hello, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, it beggars belief every day when you read about um, the police in this country, and particularly this particular case of a police constable. And um, there may well be more to the story, but effectively being told that he can no longer be a police officer because he didn't pay enough money for some Jaffa cakes. Yes. um, The thing that strikes me, Mike, is not just the police stories you hear all the time now increasingly, but the crime stories, yeah. and the two things are linked, aren't they? You know, you've got all sorts of crimes which, you know, 10 years ago would have made front page news uh, all over the country for days and weeks. And now it's just another stabbing or another ghastly episode of violence. And um, where are the police? Um, you don't see them, really. And I think all of this is down to management, as everything else is. And the managers are no longer coppers themselves. Right. They're people who have sort of risen to the top without trace and are more politicians or think they're politicians than they are crime uh, stoppers. So there you have the beginning and the end of it. But also in the selection of people joining the police, I mean, what is so incredible, as you will have read, is how many of the serving police officers actually have criminal records up to and including rape. Yeah. Um, it's, it's astonishing and bewildering and perplexing. How did this happen? Mm. Well, as you say, I mean, I think there's several hundred <coughs> police officers currently still employed who have had uh, convictions of sexual assault and various other uh, sexual uh, uh, crimes against them. And yet they're still in the force. And it doesn't seem as though anybody seems uh, cares about it. No, it's worth pointing out. I think I get a lot of emails from serving policemen who are in despair and very angry, too, about the the sort of condemnation of their uh, police forces or their profession because they're the sort of old-fashioned proper policemen who uh, who joined in order to mm. serve the public and they don't like the fact that they're being given a dreadfully bad name by a few apples unfortunately not just a few apples uh, but nonetheless there are lots of examples of the police simply not doing their job and you know when you see the extinction rebellion or the insulation insulate britain brigade gaily going about their uh, chores of stopping the country uh, bring it to a standstill while the police simply stand by and arrest anyone who gets in the way of trying to stop them i mean that completely erodes all trust and faith in the police oh it totally does and i mean insulate britain have announced i think yesterday they're going to take 10 days off and the police mm. are sort of none the wiser, really, are they? Because if they decide to take 10 days off because they're going on half-term holidays or they decide to return to the fray, I think the reason they're taking some time off is because they don't actually like being roughed up by the public, because the public are sick to death of being held up in traffic and have started taking matters into their own hands. It's a very good example to set. I mean, if I had my way, I'd use a forklift truck to lift these people <laughs> off the ground. And if they happen to leave behind some of the glued... Uh, flesh that they'd uh, stuck onto the tarmac, 
so much the better, really. Yeah, well, they wouldn't that be would back, would very they? rapidly stop them, wouldn't it? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, I think this kind of kid-glove treatment of these individuals seems to me to have only been given out as an instruction from people like Cressida Dick, who must have some kind of um, ideological love of climate change protesters. Yes, and your opening remarks about the fact that Cressida Dick is only still in that position because of the total lack of any alternative yeah. in the entire police force. I mean, what an indictment of the police force, that there is no one around who is trusted or of sufficient stature to become leader of the mm. uh, Metropolitan Police. It really is amazing, isn't it? Because here we have um, a kind of lawless society in some respects where, you know, people can seemingly do all sorts of things, Trevor, uh, to disrupt our daily <coughs> lives. And we are apparently powerless to prevent it from happening continually. Powerless and very, very frustrated. I mean, I walk around the streets of London like many millions of others and the whiff, the, the absolute pong of uh, reefers. Oh, uh, it's, cannabis a, it's appalling, isn't it? It is. It sort of clings to you as you walk through this uh, invisible cloud. Yeah. And nobody takes, uh, they're st sitting there quite boldly and brazenly. Uh, if, if a police officer walked through them, they, they, through that uh, area, they wouldn't do anything either. No. And it's this petty crime, the cracked windows, as they call it, of, of society, that once you allow certain levels of petty crime, they think that they can do anything, and indeed they do, and mm. on bikes and in all sorts of ways, scooters and so on. Criminal conduct is now changing the face of this country. Yeah. I mean, I've heard from some serving police officers that an awful lot of money has been removed from certain aspects of policing, and an awful lot of it, for example, has been uh, earmarked for terrorism and anti-terrorism policing, which I can understand, and obviously you would want your police to be very much on top of all of that. But I don't know whether you've heard the same thing, that there is an issue of, of cash. I'm always slightly suspicious when public servants say, oh, we haven't got enough money, we need more money. Um, but could that be a problem? Uh, it's the perpetual refrain, isn't it? But it all depends on how you spend that money. Mm. And I think close investigation of the way police uh, decide what to do with the income they receive from the taxpayer um, does not bear close scrutiny. An awful lot of it is earmarked for projects which you and I wouldn't regard as policing at all. And that includes diversity training and uh, uh, multiple other things which are totally peripheral to, mm. to the process of keeping our streets safe. And I, th I think that you have to decide, as I say, it goes back to management. Those at the top are in charge of the, the spending decisions. And if they don't spend it on trying to stop crime, if they simply turn a blind eye to burglaries and flashing and pot smoking and all the rest of it, then people are going to take more and more advantage of the situation. Yes, absolutely right. I mean, people now who steal cars, for example, or who steal bikes. I was reading just the other day that there's a spate of attacks on people now cycling through Richmond Park, apparently, because people have got... I mean, I can't believe quite that this is true, but I read it three times to ensure it was. People are, dry, are, are cycling on bicycles that cost upwards of ten to £15,000, and they're then getting attacked, and the bikes are being nicked by these kind of machete mm. gangs in Richmond Park. Now, it seems to me that would be pretty easy to solve by putting some police in Richmond Park. Yes, but the interesting thing, Mike, is that this is being driven. These guys are somewhat uh, malevolent entrepreneurs. They know there's now a huge market for these bikes simply yeah. because they're not being made. You know, these supply line uh, problems we've got with deliveries and mm. so on. Um, the Bromptons and these other bikes that are worth a lot of money can be sold like hot cakes at more than they they cost 
the original uh, purchaser. Right. So they've, they've pounced on this. They've discovered there's a market and they're grabbing you. You, you should never leave your bike unlocked. And if it's a Brompton, don't leave it anywhere. Take it with you. To be honest, if you're spending 15 grand on a bike, I think you've got other problems. But that's that's just that's just my uh, <laughs> that's just my own view. What about this police boss up in Yorkshire, Philip Allett, who appeared as, as as a star of Plank of the Week with us a couple of weeks ago? This is the guy who said that women should be more streetwise uh, in the wake of the Sarah Everard murder. Um, he's finally quit in disgrace. But I mean, that's another problem for me: is these police commissioners that we seem to have uh, invented over the course of the last sort of decade or so. What do we need them for? Well, I, I totally agree with you on this. And frankly, I think that the police commissioners are a waste of time, space and actual... Um, the, the point of mm. them is, is almost impossible to understand. You, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you by saying that I actually agree with at least the sentiment of this guy, uh. which is that, sadly, um, women need to be much more sceptical about what uh, is being said to them and, and, and conduct towards them. Um, Nobody is blaming Sarah Everard, and I'm sure this bloke wasn't either. But, you know, in this day and age, people are trying on the most appalling. Uh, you know, I worry about my uh, granddaughters, and I'm sure other uh, parents and grandparents do the same when they're out of your sight and uh, away with their friends. You know, some people are going to try and take advantage of them. And they should be very alert and ready to run or do whatever is necessary to protect themselves. But I guess the position for this chap was that he seemed to be blaming Sarah Everard for not doing something when, in fact, I'm, you know, it's, it, it's a horrible thought. But if you're confronted by a man who persuades you he's a serving police officer, it's very difficult to tell him not to well, exactly. you know, run away. Well, I think the thing is, a lot of women that I've spoken to, and, and, and Julie Hartley Brewer is amongst them, she said she doesn't know any women who wouldn't have gone into the car with him. You know, and yeah. I wonder whether we need to sort of start telling people that, you know, that is not what you should be doing. Your immediate response should be, I'm not getting in a car with you. If you're on your own, uh, you should be with another police officer. I'm going to try and double check that you have uh, the right to do this. Um, similarly, I think yesterday there was a case of two men uh, who were impersonating police officers trying to gain entry to a flat in East London. I, don't, I think they were caught. I don't know what they were trying to do. But, you know, you can't trust anyone, I'm afraid. No, this is new too, isn't it, Mike? I mean, you can't imagine this happening 10 or 20 years ago. No. These are new uh, methods where people who are incredibly ruthless are prepared to try anything in order to make money, whether a large or small amount. They'll do anything for money. And yeah. it's a it's a shocking new sort of lack of conscience and scruple which is built up. And I think, you know, it's a vicious circle. If the police don't police, then people will do anything to get past any sort of laws they do try and police. Yeah, so it, it, one thing leads to another, in other words. I think so. And are we so, so far down this route, uh, Trevor, that it can't be fixed, do you think? Or, or could it be fixed with uh, perhaps a slightly more... I mean, let's not forget, the Tory party used to be known as the party of law and order. I'm not sure it is anymore. No, I do think it can be fixed. I think if you had a proper uh, a police commissioner uh, who was laying down the law literally to their um, staff and the police officers on the beat and in the headquarters, I, I think that crime could be stopped. You need to have an almost total blanket force out there stopping people doing things which are antisocial right. to start with. Once you begin there, that's when the cracked windows start to be repaired. And the, the criminals think twice before they take take the police mm. on. Is it a matter of punishment, do you think, fitting the crime? Or, or you know, just more police? What do you think it is? 
I think you've got to stop the crime. And mm. in that, you've got to have a police presence, and that means more police. You've got to have uh, people actually stopping the crime before it's committed so that they think it's not worth the bother of going out and trying to mug or steal or, or, or beat people up. If these things are allowed to happen, as they seem to be, on a regular daily, hourly basis, then nothing will stop them. They've got to be stopped on the spot, on the scene. Mm. No, I think that's absolutely right. Trevor, nice to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Trevor Kavanagh, political columnist at The Sun, of course, former political editor of The Sun, uh, and a man that knows a thing or two of how this country used to be policed and how it used to be a lot safer and it used to be a lot less lawless because that's what it seems to me uh, is going on. I mean, I was flabbergasted, I have to say, uh, when I found out that people have even got bikes that cost 15 grand. Um, but if you're riding through Richmond Park and you're set upon by somebody with a machete, you're going to give them the bike, aren't you? But it seems extraordinary that nobody can stop it from happening. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.